So today I'm with uh, Chris Dixon, who um, I, I find it kind of funny. He's called the the new Fred Wilson. Um, Fred Wilson is the top VC in New York City, and Chris has been writing some really good blog posts on investing and, and how startups work, which is where I've um, been following him. Um, Chris is the co-founder of Hunch.com, and I've just walked into his offices and met Katarina Fake, who's the co- who's the co-founder of Flickr, and um, and, and 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 also Hunch. So. Um, it's pretty cool to be here. So, um, Chris, thanks for thanks for taking the time to interview. Yeah, thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, well, just just very briefly, my background. I'm originally I grew up in Ohio, and I moved to New York to go to college, and I've been in New York for um, about 15 years now, and uh, sort of one of these people that came to New York and immediately fell in love with it. Um, uh, just the sort of vibrancy and all the sort of interesting things happening in the city. Is this thing okay? Is it, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, I uh, was a computer programmer, sort of support myself for a number of years. Uh, I worked at a, at a uh, uh, sort of a high tech hedge fund right after college. Um, I worked for a couple of years in venture capital at a firm called Bessemer Venture Partners, which is kind of one of the kind of big old VC firms. Um, the big old offices. Well, not. I mean, not. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's one of the, it's sort of a classic, you know, sort of a classic billion dollar early stage venture fund. They've been around for a long time. They have offices in New York. They used to have an office in Boston. I think they don't. I think they used to have a small office in Boston and one out in Palo Alto or Menlo Park. Um, so I worked there for um, for about two years, which gave me, I think, kind of an interesting perspective, having seen the VC world from the inside. Um, I left there to start a company, um, which was. Um, the, the idea was, um, this was around 2004, um, when, if you remember, this was actually pre-Firefox, sort of um, spyware and phishing were at their peak. Um, sort of when you were on the web, you were going Internet Explorer, and ActiveX pop-ups were popping up, and spyware was everywhere, and et cetera. And the idea was that um, to start a company that um, tried to solve these problems by um, creating a reputation system for the web. So basically saying these are the good websites and these are the bad websites. The idea was the sort of the existing security companies like McAfee and Semantic were very focused on kind of solving what are known as uh, sort of technical um, threats as opposed to uh, social engineering threats. So they're sort of focused on um, uh, problems where, uh, you know, sort of the browser is malfunctioning or being broken into, et cetera. And the idea was kind of that really a lot of, the, a lot of regular um, Internet users' problems were um, that they just didn't know whether, whether they were dealing with a reputable website. And you sold that business, right? That's right. So we, um, we were acquired by McAfee. Uh, how, how was that sale? <coughs> uh, it was, it was a very, very financially very positive outcome. We, um, we, uh, we, had in, we raised money from VCs, and they did very well. It was like sort of approximately 10 times their money, so that's sort of what they kind of look for in investments. And you didn't go and retire on a beach somewhere? No, no. So I had a, um, so I had a 15-month um, lockup at McAfee, meaning I had to work there, and um, and uh, and it was sort of strange because they didn't really want me to do much. It was just, I, I was the C- co-founder CEO. They wanted my technical team. Um, they wanted those guys to do work, but for some reason they didn't really want me to do work, but they wanted me to hang around. Um, so I did a little bit of work for them. I tried to do work for them. Um, they also had three CEOs while I was there. They had um, 
they were part of the options option scandals. So, you know, while I was there, one of the things I got interested in doing was um, kind of helping out my friends with their startups and also investing in their startups. Um, so basically angel investing. Um, so you're an angel investing while you're working yeah, at, oh, at, at McAfee. So this is in your downtime. That's right. Hmm. Um, that's when I kind of got into it originally, and then I've continued to do it. And so I've invested in about 15 companies since then. And um, What kind of investments are um, uh, Well, so I'll sort of be part of, you know, uh, sort of seed rounds. So I'll do some piece of a seed round, which will say the average deal size, the total deal, meaning the syndicate, will be between three hundred and eight hundred thousand dollars type kind of thing. So you put in fifty grand, hundred grand, that kind of stuff. In that range, yeah, that kind of depends on the deal and things like this. Um, and uh, but all these things will always be, you know, partly out of because you know we have limit. I have limits on what I can invest, and also partly because because. Um, because uh, it's good to have a lot of other people, we always syndicate these things. So we'd always get like a big group of people, especially people that are like relevant to the industry that the startup's in, right? So, um, and, uh, and you do that because then they effectively have a team of guys helping them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And like I found that that um, you know that it's much better to have if you get, if the person in the position to do so to get someone. Let's say say you're starting a security company to get an experienced security person to invest as an angel rather than sort of bringing them on as an advisor because then they have kind of skin in skin the game as they say and so you know we try to do that um, some people don't have the obviously the financial resources to do that in which case then you work something else let's like, say a professor or something like this but you know many times these successful business people will and so you sort of try to bring in interesting groups of people um, so kind of put a bunch of these together, um, also sort of help people. I'd been through this early stage on both sides of the table, kind of as an entrepreneur and as a VC, um, and so would try to kind of help people both raise that initial round, but then also kind of get the company to the stage where they can then raise a proper VC round, mm-hmm. right? So kind of really focusing on that stage and that, and helping in that way, like not sort of trying to micromanage the product and things like this. Did you know a lot about finance before you started doing that? Um, well, I knew finance in the abstract um, from, you know, I had worked at a hedge fund post-college post, um, post and I actually went to, I didn't, I was, I tried to pretend like I didn't, but I went to business, I went to Harvard Business School, so I have an MBA, but I've, oh, right. so, um, so I know something about finance. And then I worked in VC for two years and then I raised money as a startup. So I've been, and then I've invested now 15 times or so and so, and then actually I've, um, I'm actually going to talk about this for the first time on my blog Monday, but I've um, since, um, and I'd ask if you wouldn't mind just holding off. Well, this, is, okay. this is going to be in a few weeks, I know, right. but like, it, I know that you wouldn't, but just so you just so you know. So we're getting secret stuff here, guys. Well, no, so on Monday I was going to say that what, what is, what's happened is that, that um, I've, uh, um, the people I've been co-investing with, we've decided to formalize kind of what we've been doing, mm-hmm. and we started an actual seed fund. Um, which we've been invest. We started about three months ago, mm-hmm. and are going to start talking about it pretty soon. Um, so that'll be out, that'll be after before this is. You'll, that'll happen by the time people. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so it's, it's sort of I think is part of this. So media is a breaking news site. You heard it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of part of. Um, um, it's really doing what we've already been doing, which is which is I think true seed investing. So it's a the fund is forty million dollars, um, which is in, by VC standard very small, mm-hmm. um, and that means that. We can do like our sole focus is at this very very early stage and putting in sort of small quote unquote small amounts of money like a couple hundred thousand dollars, um, and that those are our actual 
that's our actual business, as opposed to something I blog about a lot, which is big VCs who have $400 million funds. When they put $100,000 into a company, there's just almost no way the $100,000 are meaningful to them. Um, so what they're really doing is they're getting their foot in the door to kind of do the next round. Um, what we're doing is actually investing and caring about that first round, which is which which I argue a lot in my blog, and I think it's true, is far better for the entrepreneur because our interests are aligned with their interests. So, for example, we in particular want to get them a higher valuation in the next round, whereas BC is putting the majority of the money in the next round and therefore actually doesn't want to see that happen. Hmm. Yeah, so there's all sorts of uh, weird incentives that happen when you have these giant funds. So basically, like, you probably, if you read about this kind of stuff, like the VC world, um, I mean, it's been basically a, a couple of things that have happened that have caused that, that, that have caused the VC industry to kind of be in a pretty bad situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing that happened is um, is that, you know, what's, what's called the Yale model, which is basically this guy, David Swenson, who's the fund manager at Yale, mm-hmm. um, pioneered, it's like 20 years ago or something, pioneered the idea of putting a lot of um, the uh, universities endowments into highly liquid securities, namely venture capital, private equity, uh, real estate, so-called alternative investments. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the idea was, because they're in their college endowment, they could take sort of a 10-year horizon. They had sort of quote-unquote patient capital. Right. Um, and they had outstanding results. So they had, you know, he's had like something 20-something percent returns year over year. Harvard did that. And then suddenly every other university copied it. The pension funds copied it. So everyone decided sort of, let's say, in the 90s, 80s and 90s, they need to put 5 10% of their money into venture capital, right? Um, what that means is you have things like CalPERS, let's say, which is, I don't know, 800 California's retirement fund. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know, I think it's you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. If they suddenly decided to put $50 billion, sorry, 5% into you know, venture, that means suddenly $50 billion going into venture. You had sort of this massive inflow, you know, combined also with the dot-com bubble where people were making a lot of money in venture, you had this sort of massive influx, right? Tons of new VC firms have been created. Um, uh, meanwhile, you have this opposite trend, which is it's, it costs less and less to kind of start an internet company, right? right? So you have these very capital-efficient internet companies. So you have this real mismatch between these billion-dollar VC funds right. that are structured around a world where, like, you know, where, where you need to build sort of heavy hardware and opposite. <laughs> so you think the next generation is seed funds like? I do. I, think, I don't think we're the first, by the way. I think I think we're following in the footsteps of things people like. Y Combinator. Full ground in those guys? I think they've been pioneers, I think. Um, Techstars. It's in Techstars, and I think it's also just maybe a little lesser known, but they're doing similar things with Mike Naples, the Naples Investments in the West Coast. Ron Conway has this thing baseline, although he's sort of a little bit separate from it now. Which is a, these are called micro VCs. Sometimes first round capital was sort of doing this, although they've got a bigger fund now. Um, uh, Betaworks in New York is doing some interesting stuff. Um, so there's like a bunch of people that are having sort of new models, so they're sort of experimenting, and everyone's sort of doing it a little bit differently. But clear, I think these are all sort of part of a trend, and we're sort of cop- not copying, but sort of you know uh, sort of following on that trend, and with our own variation of it, which is that we have fun, but it's also everyone involved in the fund are entrepreneurs, <laughs> and the entrepreneurs, even full time like me, I'm a full time entrepreneur, I'm full time at Hunch. But I'm part of the fund, and I help the fund make decisions. Um, and part of the theory behind that is that practicing entrepreneurs are better positioned in many times to sort of understand and um, and uh, lead investments in areas they understand versus somebody whose, say, background is in banking or or has been. You know, when I lived in Silicon Valley in the 90s, and I worked at Oracle, 
and um, I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, Larry. But um, uh, one of the things I really felt was every time I came across VCs is that they were just these finance people who not only really understand finance, so it was just these finance geeks that didn't understand the business, but just were like really arrogant towards everything. And, and they're very arrogant. Yeah, there's a problem. I mean, I think it's something that happens when you have you walk you have a billion dollars and you've gone to these fancy schools and it's you know they it, unfortunately there's a lot of arrogance and um, you know I think uh, and as someone who's raised money and also failed at raising money many times like I've been on the other side of that. Oh, you failed to raise money? Well, no, I mean yeah, I mean for every I mean sure like when I started my first company I had to go out and pitch. 30 VCs before I managed, you know, like, so, I mean, I did raise money, but 28 said no before, you know what I mean? I mean, like, it's, you know, yeah, I've been rejected plenty of times, as, you know, um, it becomes easier. Was that a side advisor, or was that something else? Yeah, before that, I tried some stuff, if I had an online marketing company before that, and, um, but yeah, for side advisor, I mean, I, you know, um, so yeah, I've, I've, I've you know, I, your experience with pulling in your eyes. I, I, I mean, Katarina, who, you know, Katarina Fake, who's, who's uh, my co-founder here at Flickr, they were laughed out of every VC in Silicon Valley, you know, for a long time until suddenly the site took off. Um, you know, they were actually originally building a game, uh, a multi massive multiplayer online game. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I think we all have. Um, and I think that makes us kind of, you know, understand the predicament of entrepreneurs and, um, and I think just sort of more respectful and also maybe more humble and that we don't know everything and sometimes, you know, just sort of sit there and listen. And so is this a fund that you run or other people going to run? Or no, there's two, there's two friends of mine who are serial entrepreneurs who this is their new startup in a sense, so they're doing it full time. Hmm. So I'm sort of involved, this is, I guess you could say, like, you know, on the side or something. It's sort of for me, it's like, there are a lot of entrepreneurs who do angel investing, hmm. like in Silicon Valley, for example. Um, and this is just sort of a way for this sort of a new vehicle for doing that angel investing. So, and maybe you can help strengthen the startup community in New York City. Well, that's part of the hope. Yeah, I think I think that's um, I think that you know one of the things we we need here is I mean I think we have some you know we have Fred Wilson who's a great VC. Um, like I said, BetaWorks is doing really interesting stuff. There's some there are other good VCs in New York. Um, there's some angels here, but you know, there's a few sort of tech angels. There's, there's but there's other sorts of like a lot of the other sources of money here are like hedge funds, mm. pe- people who've inherited money, things like this. And I don't think, you know, I, I think that's just it's, that's not. Particularly I want to ask you about that because you posted on your blog that you were at, or you posted on Twitter, you were at an event where there was you felt like there was people asking questions yeah. of startups that just asked them and. I, I, th- I found that comment kind of funny. I think I challenged you on Twitter. I forget what it was. Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, but they, you know, maybe they're, they're learning or something like that. And I, I think I wrote on your blog. And this was specifically. What was, what was going on? Because that was a very short exchange. Yeah, yeah. So that was, um, <coughs> this was a, there was a bunch of like tech star type people. And literally, I think it was tech stars and um, some Y Combinator companies mm-hmm. that were based in New York giving an event. And um, this, this is one of the unfortunate things that happens in New York and is that whenever you have these sort of angel events, there's sort of a few people that are like genuine tech people, mm-hmm. investors, but there's also just like a bunch of people who, I don't know what, like they inherited a bunch of buildings on Fifth Avenue or something. I don't know, New York is full of all these... Old money. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I think they think it's sort of, oh, this is, this is fun, you know, like let's go and invest in internet companies or something. Um, and the questions, I mean, like there, there are all sorts of reasons to be, you know, these are interesting companies, but like every startup, there are all sorts of reasons to, 
you know, good questions to probe and challenges to give mm-hmm. the entrepreneurs. In this particular case, it was, uh, what was it, what they were doing? They were doing, it was something like, I think it was like, um, they were doing lead gen for, I think maybe attorneys or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question was like, wait, so you're going to go and get some information about somebody interested in an attorney and then sell that information, which is a lead gen business, which is like a multi-billion dollar business. And this right. person was like clearly just not aware that that was a multi-billion dollar business. So like, there's lots of reasons to say like, like in this particular case, like, how are you going to build those, you know? So they were outraged about the selling of information? Well, they, they, didn't, they just, not, they weren't even outraged. They just didn't even understand that that's a big, that there's like a huge business of selling Like they just didn't, it was like that basic, you know what I'm saying? And like that's just, there's all sorts of things to challenge that person on, including how are they going to get traffic? How are they going to, you know, go out and let's say, you know, find the attorneys to buy it. Maybe, maybe that's the point where they learn about it and they start to invest. Maybe, maybe. But I, I think, I think there's, I think there's, you'd rather work with the guys that know what they're doing. I think I think it, I think it's good for New York to have more people who are um, actively investing who have, exper- who have direct experience in this yeah. industry. That's all. I mean, I'm sure those people will have direct experience in where they have experience in. <laughs> it's not technology. I'll tell you that. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just a different level. I go out to California, and it's just you know you you don't have that kind of those questions out there. It's right. much different, you know. So you have some sophisticated people here, but it's like, you know. Certainly what though, Silicon Valley didn't really understand much about lead gen until not long ago. I mean, there's, and even still today, I think there's a lot that they're missing. That's, that's look, and actually like, in, for example, in lead gen and advertising, New York is actually generally pretty sophisticated, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, they just aren't the angel investors. Like, there's a lot of these sort of like scrappy mom and pop kind of lead gen shops here. Right. Um, but, uh, but, um, I don't know. So that was that particular thing was just. Look, there's also the hedge funds. I mean, that's died down a little bit with the financial crash or whatever. But for a long time here, what you'd see, especially like in financial technology, um, which is an area that I think is interesting, and you know, like somebody let's say starting a new you know market for trading, whatever something or some new trading software. Okay, like in theory, that would be an interesting area as a as a angel slash venture investor to invest in. What the problem is that there's so much hedge fund money out there that those guys, those trading guys go to the hedge funds and they say, oh, this is interesting. And, you know, whereas like a true seed investor would be like, okay, this is like an early stage company. They haven't built a product yet. Let's do it at a $3 million pre-money valuation. The hedge fund guys have no clue like what these ranges are or anything else. And they'll just do it at a $50 million pre-money valuation because these guys are like, you know, they're used to numbers with billions at the end, nine billions or something. And like, wow, that seems cheap, 50 million. And what that does, though, and I've seen this many times, like I've seen, like then those guys go out, they build their software, and then they want to go raise more money. And then they can't. And then they can't because they go to like professional tech investors, and they're like, 50 pre, are you kidding me at this stage, right? And meanwhile, they they go back to the hedge fund guy, and the hedge fund guy's like, I don't want you to do a down round, right? Because I, you know, I paid 50 this, and I want the price to go up. <laughs> You're doing a bad job. Do a better job. You know, and like you see this sort of stalemate happen, and it's really just not the sort of bad all around I think. And so all, so all these things kind of get screwed up by the by the excess kind of not smart money in New York. Hmm. Um, I think that's gone. A lot of that's gone away now with the with the downturn because the hedge fund guys are all you know either you know they've lost some money or they're going to jail. I guess hmm. right at the times today or whatever else, but. Um, so, <laughs> a little insider trading there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. How does that fit in with Hunch? 
Yeah, so, okay, so my, I mean, so... And talk about, maybe tell everyone a little bit about Hunch. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, <coughs> when uh, when we uh, finished at McAfee, me and Tom Pinkney, who's my co-founder and site advisor, um, and two other guys who were sort of our key technical guys from site advisor, they're all Tom and those other, and Matt and Hugo, who are the two guys that are all um, MIT graduates who have a particular expertise in kind of artificial intelligence areas. Um we, we we just literally the day after we were done with McAfee, we rented an office and uh, not this was some temporary space and said we want to build stuff and you know being having an interest in consumer internet and having a technology um, kind of orientation um, you know we inevitably were sort of drawn to things around search mm-hmm. right that's sort of where the action is obviously and sort of tech heavy consumer internet you know. We're not the kind of guys to go build a new social network. It's just not our thing. We're kind of techies. Um, so uh, we had this idea that wouldn't it be neat if we You don't seem like a techie, though. Like you're a chatty guy that I'd see. Well, I mean, I'm not. a reform techie. My, partners, my technical partners are very techie, extremely techie. I used, to, I used to program for years. I'm not a very good programmer. So I'm sort of mediocre at a lot of things, including <laughs> technology. So. Technical fit. Yeah, but I think that, like, in other words, I, you know, I just don't think that we would have a competitive advantage. You know, like building a new social network, whatever. That's you know, or something like you know, just to give an example. I just think you know, be something that be sort of more technical. And so we had this particular idea, which was, wouldn't it be neat to build a system that kind of was modeled after how you interact with real human experts? Um, in particular, like imagine if you went, imagine if I went to, um, you know, let's, an example I often use is like um, I was trying to decide which college to go to. Right, I'm a college, high school student, and I. Uh, go to a, a, a college guidance counselor and I say, I want to go to college, right? The good guidance counselor is not going to say, um, you should go to X college or Y college, right? They're going to say, they're going to ask you a series of questions. They're going to say, what do you want to study? And you say this. And they say, what part of the country do you want to live in? You know, where world do you want to live in, right? And then they're going to say, what, you know, what's your grade point average or something? And then they're going to sort of ask you a series of questions. And, and presumably, like, a lot of those questions will be conditioned on how you answer the prior questions. Mm-hmm. And, more, and then finally, they'll sort of give you a a set of recommendations, and those recommendations would be sort of based on your answers. In some cases, they'll have to make trade-offs because they can't find, let's say, a single university that satisfies all of your answers, but maybe they'll decide this is more important right. than that or something like this. And we said, wouldn't that be good to build a system like that? Because that's how real human experts do it. And Yeah, and I've used Hunch a couple of times, and so it's asked me different questions and about iPhones and Twitter and stuff like that, and I've seen stuff you guys have posted in your profile. I've found that the, the answers I've gotten have generally been accurate, um, really quite accurate, except that I found that sometimes the questions are leading, and I felt the questions are inaccurate. That, 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 I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an issue. That, I mean, so one of the design decisions we decided to make was that um, you know we, we, we only allow a certain a certain you know we only you can only click on one of the existing answers, mm-hmm. and sometimes people say, well, you know, I want to say maybe, not yes or no, for example. Is that, is that kind of what you mean? No, I found there's been questions like. Um, like, do you like a Porsche, and then it says, do you like a Porsche or something? Like something yeah, it's almost like, like there's, well, it's a question like there's really only one answer to, like, um, you know, is New York really a big city? Yeah. Well, so one thing you should know is that 
Um, everything on Hunch is user generated. Okay. Okay. So, that, so I guess that would be. Yeah. So and so, and so like I need a question at the end, like were the questions on this survey accurate? We do have things like, for example, you can also like if you notice, it would be actually helpful if you next time you do that, if you, you can flag a question to the uh, flag button, things like that, and users some users do to do that. I feel like I'm giving you grandmother type feedback because I haven't really used the site that many times. That's the best. Feedback. The best feedback is feedback to people that are that that are coming to it for the first time. Yeah, I've um, used it like three times. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, but you know, a lot of people will. I think so. So the answer is it's user generated, and like a lot of early, like user generated sites that are in a pretty early stage, um, the content will vary. So there's some really good content and some bad content, and um, we hopefully have developed a system where the bad content gets better and gets surfaced, and so it's progressing and sort of accruing knowledge. Where's the business model come out of? So about half of our what we call topics which are like you know what college should, half of them are things like what camera should I buy mm-hmm. um, which are sort of product related right. um, and on those at the end of it there are if you like that there's a link that's a sponsored link it's very similar to Google which if you click on it we get some percentage so affiliate links yeah exactly um, are they generating revenue now yeah they are yeah they're, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, so it's actually like a lead gen sales process for affiliate marketing so it's kind of like you pick the opinions, but t- more targeted to the opinions almost. Yeah, it's it's um it's 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 um and because you're doing it across every single type of question, so you've taken the best out of question sites like um, Yahoo Answers and all of those, and then you've turned it into something that can become product related. So you'll you'll build the brand through everything that's out there, like every kind of question. But then it'll target towards product questions, and then in the end, you do have a good revenue model. That makes sense. Yeah, I actually think we have. Um, I mean, I think we have the best revenue model, which is Google's revenue model. Right? When you think about it, Google's doing the same thing, which is you can type a search on anything. But if you actually look at it, more than half the time they won't show any ads, right? You know, the little quality score thing, mm-hmm. the quality score thing. I mean, right. So they actually make the choice. Unlike Yahoo and Amazon, by the thing, by the way, they made a choice where if they if if it's if it's a really low. Um, um, sort of effective CPM keyword. They'd rather not show an ad right. than show one and clutter the page. And I mean, I know a heck of a lot of guys that would love to be able to buy all of that inventory. That's right. That's right. And but, but, but Yahoo and Bing will do that, right? The Yahoo, you can say dead body and it'll say, like, buy dead body on eBay, right? I mean, like, where's Google? Like, hey, cool. <laughs> so Google's made a choice, which is a really, I think it's a really interesting and, and Brave choice, which is to lose, to forego the revenue on all of those. But that's things. always how they're done. Yeah, you know, it's a great, it's a great thing. It's one of the great things about Google. But they, so so seventy percent of the time, and you know, like you don't see ads on the thing, right? So like in a, in a way, what they're doing is they're using all that stuff as a way to sort of be a general purpose thing, and they're making the money on you know when you say like I want to buy a camera or something, right? And very similarly on Hunch, like mm. a lot of the time we aren't, but then sometimes if you have purchasing intent, right? I mean that's a very valuable context. Mm. And I think we do it. I think we. I think one nice thing about Hunch is we manage to do it in a way that's that's very natural and not doesn't feel like you know abusive at all. It's like a search. It's like if you if you're asking to like somebody's coming to you and saying, help me find a camera, it's very it's it's very inoffensive to have a thing as a sponsored link. If you like this camera, click here to buy it. And if we have good sort you know good merchants, I think it's a good user experience. Have you looked at what kind of conversion rates you're getting out of it? We have. um, Because I'd imagine it's quite low right now. Or is it? Um, it's interesting. Well why do you I'm curious why do you say that? Um, because if I was investigating a camera, like I have my camera here, and if I was investigating cameras, I don't know if I'd make the final buying decision. Well, that's okay. no, you're exactly right. So the, the, the challenge that we, we actually have, the, the, because it's such a good purchasing intent context, we have a good ECPM, or RPM as I prefer to say, um, 
it's not nearly as good as it should be, and it's precisely for the reason you say that we're sort of a top of funnel, as they say in the business, top of funnel, mm. right? Um, the average camera buyer clicks on three affiliate links before they purchase it. The first two don't get paid, mm. right? So the whole way, like Amazon pays you, the last cookie gets paid. Right. So, like for example, the coupon sites are, are getting half of the revenue, right? Because that's where you tend to go at the very end of the process, right? Mm. Um, people that help you find the right merchant, shopping.com, etc., do very well. Mm. Um, I would argue that this is a misallocation of people's uh, of, of, of um, affiliate revenue at, um, attribution or something, or misattribution of affiliate revenue, mm. um, and that the, if you talk to the really savvy like e-commerce sites, they will track all three of those clicks and try to allocate accordingly. So you know what? There's a business model right there. So what you could do is it, there should be a company that um, put together uh, buyers newsletters. So you could then, instead of the person just leaving the site, they could join a buyer's newsletter on Nikon D700 cameras that would send them emails explaining more about it and get I mean, more that's, information. That's some of the stuff that like, you said, what we're thinking like down the road and how you're doing, right? Things that get us towards later in the process. So, hey, I found a cool camera, flag it here, you know, remind me in the two weeks or, you know, alternatively we could add features which is like, you know, hey, we help you find a good camera when you're actually ready to buy it. We also have a good place, you know, uh, comparison shopping engine to buy one for, you know what I mean? Things that are later in the funnel as well. So, like, once you've established the early relationship and trust, you help them, you sort of monetize it later in the process. Mm-hmm. But I also think that the world will change. I, I think that part of what we're betting on is that, um, is that uh, the e-commerce sites will get savvier and start correctly attributing first, second, third clicks, et cetera, right? I mean, it's, it's silly right now that only the last click gets paid. If that doesn't happen, though, what happens to your business model? We still, we still get a good CPM, I mean, because we still get enough people, like, it's, because, because it's like, I mean, the way I say sort of like, so I use the word RPM, right, revenue per thousand, I don't know if this is my favorite word for this, but revenue per thousand impressions, right, and I see it as, it's basically like... Isn't that CPM? Well, ECPM or whatever, you know what I mean, like, people say effective CPM, I just, it's just, when you talk about revenues, why do you say effective cost per thousand, I don't know, so some people say, whatever. It's, it's just, I mean, a metric that works across lots of media, that's all. No, well, RPM is the same thing. Yeah, when you say RPM, does that trend, does that mean CPM? No, so it means it means that it means it could be a CPA, CPC, or CPM, mm-hmm. but it's the effective revenue I'm getting for every thousand impressions. So, you do, does RPM mean effect ECPM? Yes. Okay, because that's the term that I'm used to. But if we want to call it RPM, that's cool. Some people are uh, some people are now calling ECPM RPM. Okay, I just personally prefer it because I feel like it's a little okay. Fine. So I always say. ECPM. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I'm just, no, no, let's, let's go with this. I'm in your office. So, so we're still getting like $20 plus CCPM, so they're still good. But I think they could be $100 if we could really get, you know, the value that, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I, I still think we have a very, so, you know, if you kind of look at ECPMs in the consumer internet world, they're highly uh, bifurcated. Mm-hmm. Um, people that are socializing on a social network, it tends to be 50 cents to a dollar at that. People that are about to purchase a camera is you know much 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 higher, and I think we're getting kind of in the middle range because we still have the purchasing intent, but we're high early in the funnel. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? So it's still good, but it's not. It could be better. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and I think part of that will be hopefully a change in the way people do their media their media buying attribution, and partly we will build features that kind of make us later in the funnel. But so, that makes sense. Cool. I actually have a series of blog posts on this topic, so I don't know if you haven't seen them. I'm like, so it actually was inspired by some, the great thing about blogging is that um, the comments are often better than my posts, right. I think. And like, I, I blog about 
how, you know, basically this point is made, which is that it's, you know, if you have purchasing intent, the ECPMs are vastly higher than if you don't. And somebody brought up some of the other points, like intent generation versus intent harvesting, and then I, and that was really interesting, and then I actually then wrote a follow-up on that, and then I looked at another post, and so there's a series of them which are actually triggered by the, mm-hmm. I think, the, the very astute um, comments I got. No, you can, yeah, you do get some good comments yeah. on your post. Yeah, so... That's a, I love the, that discus thing. It's really discuss. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, I asked Fred about the name. It is yeah. Discuss. So people, yeah. The CEO calls it Discuss, so, so yeah, he does. Really it. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. <laughs> I had to ask him during the interview. Um, so how does that all of that fit in with Punch? I mean, and uh, actually, I was talking, I emailed with Katarina about, um, I guess, a post that she made, which was that entrepreneurs should work themselves to death. And I'm interested in your comments on that and then how that fits into angel investing and your blog posting and what you're doing here because it seems, it does seem like you're doing a lot of stuff at the same time. Well, I love doing this stuff. I mean, so, you know, like for me, like, I don't know, like, for example, a lot of uh, friends of mine watch sports. I don't really, like, for me, like, talking about startups is like sports. You know, it's like on the weekends I'll go and talk to my friends and they'll be like, see that startup and like, oh, what do you think of this? We should invest in this. You know, like, this is like fun for me. Like, this is like a hobby almost. Mm -hmm. Like, like, this is, you know, besides like spending time with family and friends, like this is sort of what I like to do. Right. So I don't really think of it as work. I mean, I probably work, you know, a lot of hours. I'm, I work pretty hard. I think Katarina's point, I think, was, was actually triggered by a conversation we, she and I were having, um, which was that, you know, in your first startup, I think you, there's sort of this mentality that you got to like, if I don't stay up till 4 a.m. every morning pulling my hair out, I'm not, I'm not doing a good job for the company. I think over time you just realize that it kind of works smarter, um, and you kind of learn, you know, like what you're good at and what you aren't, and how to hire people that are better at you at those things, and you know, um, you know, and you just kind of you get into and sort of like you realize that freaking out all the time isn't gonna sort of always being in fire drill mode is actually quite counterproductive, <laughs> um, and so you know I think there's I mean I think she you know she she's, she works. 60 hours a week or something. She's, so that's not like, you know. So she's a mom with one of the kids, right? Yeah, that's right. So she, so she, I mean, so she's, you know, I mean, so I think, let's still put it in perspective, it's still like, you know, I think she's just working hard saying, like, don't work 120 hours, work, you know, whatever. Um, and, and just sort of know what, you know, I think you just sort of know what you're good at and what you're not. And so, like, for example, this startup, I've hired a lot, I've hired people. Like, for example, my last one, I was a sort of product manager, a site advisor. And here I, you know, I, I joined up with Katarina, who's a much better product manager than me. And I instead focus on the things I'm good at. Which is? Uh, that's a good question. What am I good at? Um, what I'm good at is, well, I think, you know, I, I'm the sort of person who raised money for the company and will raise future money and kind of work on the business model and, um, and then work on, I work on the sort of technical side of the product. Like there's a, this is a fairly technical product and I sort of manage that side of it, I guess, mm-hmm. sort of. The liaison between the engineering group. I mean, I say all this. We're a ten-person company, so you know, engineering group is four people in the other room, but like it still is. Yeah, yeah. But so it's like kind of. Under, I kind of know a little bit about everything, I guess, and kind of bridge those gaps between kind of the product and the engineering and the marketing, I guess. So, you know. and then I'm responsible for raising money, and I mean, I'm the CEO. I'm sort of the. Uh, we have venture investors. I'm there. I'm sort of the person they yell at if there's something to yell about. You know that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and you know, and recruiting is a big thing. Kind of recruiting and keeping people is a huge part of a startup. Mm. Um, and what does Katarina do that is her strength? 
she's a phenomenal product designer. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a, f- she, you know, um, I mean, that, you know, we can just look at Flickr and see, uh, you know, I mean, that was a collaboration, but she, I think she was a big part of that. And, um, and, uh, she is a, she's, uh, I think really understands how to build kind of a community of people around the product. Mm-hmm. Um, she's on Apple Hunch. We have a very active community of people that are contributing content and, um, I think really feel a strong sense of identification with that, with each other and with Punch and, um, and, uh, and she's just a great speaker and she goes out and talks to the press and she's, um, you know, uh, extremely articulate, thoughtful and all sorts of other things. So I think sort of everything around the product and the marketing and she's, she's also, I mean, she's on the board of, it's like, you know, it's me and her and the investors on the board and, um, you know, helps, we sit and talk about sort of strategy and we're, you know, what should we be spending our time on? What should we be spending, having our employees spend their time on? You know, what should we be, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, so she's, um, she's, she's great. And she's, um, How did you guys meet and start to work together? We met, um, she, so Reed Hoffman mm-hmm. um, is in, and was an investor in Flickr and is a friend with Katarina. And he is buddies, or he's on the board, he, so he's, of course, founded LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And one of our investors, Bessemer, is an investor in LinkedIn. And I'm friends with this guy, Jeremy Levine, who's a Bessemer partner, who's on the board with Reed, and so they know each other. And so Katarina was um, living in California, but coming to New York a lot, because she's on the board of Etsy, mm-hmm. um, and was actually originally looking to join another board only. Um, and I met her in that context, um, as sort of like she might be another, someone to sort of get involved in kind of a board level, which means kind of like, you know, consulting a couple hours a month kind of level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, um, you know, she actually was at, you know, Flickr course acquired by Yahoo. And at Yahoo, one of the products she worked on for a long time was Yahoo Answers, which has been one of the most successful, probably the most successful internally built Yahoo product this mm-hmm. decade. I mean, it's been very successful. Um, but, but having worked on that, she recognized the shortcomings of it. Um, in particular, the fact that, that, um, that sort of you, someone asks a question, and someone else comes along and answers it, and then it sort of it sort of dies off. You know, it's like it's a, one of the problems. It's a very specific question. So, like going back to my college example, it'll be like I'm a 15, I'm a 16 year old who's interested in physics who like you know wants to live in the North. Which college should I go to? Someone says you know whatever, MIT, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. And unless you're someone else who comes along with the exact same situation, that that piece of text is kind of irrelevant to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that the system itself, while it serves a purpose, and I'm a big fan of that website, um, it doesn't sort of accrue knowledge and get better in the way that Wikipedia. Wikipedia like truly gets better over time. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just kind of keep solving these problems, and then they kind of come back. And like, while Google allows it to, and I was reading an interesting post talking about how we used to use um, Yahoo Finance and MapQuest and all of these other mapping services, yeah. and now we just use Google Everything. Sure. So, at what point does Google just really roll out its own version of Wikipedia, and then Wikipedia is done? Well, they try. They kind of try to null, right? Um, but it's shot. But yeah. yeah, no, it's true. Um, um, it's hard though. You know, Wikipedia's—it's t- been ten years in the making, and there's a lot of content on there, and a lot of thought going into it. And, um, and you know, and Google has you know shown a lot of uh, phenomenal talent in a lot of ways, but not but not around sort of user generated stuff. Yeah. It's only the game. Yeah, no, it is really the game, yeah. Um, so I think, anyways, going back to Katarina, I think she, she had worked on that problem, saw that when she saw our product, like, understood that we were trying to solve a problem which hadn't been solved and which she thought was important, and 
she wasn't intending to actually join Starter full time, um, but I think because the product was kind of sucked into it, and now it's full time, and so this piece of, she's full time on this. So you're a sales guy, and you you got her on board. I, I think the product sold itself. I really do. I, mean, I think. It, I think. Uh, no. That's what every good sales best is. <laughs> Come on, Chris, give me a break here. No, I, but I mean, it's like, I mean, she, she, um, she. Yeah, I mean, I think she. You know, I think it's. It's also these things are kind of. You know, a lot of these things are snowball too. It's like you recruit good people, and they sort of mm. help recruit good people, and like, you know, I think we had a good team, and she saw that, and, um, you know, she also then in turn helps us get other good people, and so, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so, how do you manage your time between all this stuff? Or are you just saying you just do it all, and just because you? Well, I'm full time. I mean, you don't I do a lot of other I'm stuff. So. I, so I come into the office and I do I'm full time, and then I, you know, I'll meet with people throughout the day sometimes who are um, just interesting people like you, and that is interesting to me both with respect to my job at Hunch and my investing, and just a lot of being in this startup world is just meeting interesting people. So I just do a lot of that. Um, and um, you know, the investing stuff doesn't take much time. You meet with a, you know a company. I mean, I have to, I'm partnering with two people who are full time on it, so mm. I can an interesting company will come to me. I'll say, hey, I think that's interesting. I'll pass it off to them. They'll do sort of due diligence and work on it and the legal documents and all that. And I don't need to do any of that, which is kind of the best of all worlds. So I can kind of do the fun part. <laughs> and, then, yeah, right. and then when they're like looking to hire a new engineer, I might know an engineer because I'm spend all my time meeting with people. Right? Mm. Like, so. That's kind of where I'm helpful, kind of as a connector or something, mm-hmm. mostly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I meet with VCs all the time, and, you know, partly that's because I'm going to, at some point, raise another round of financing for Hunch, but also, you know, it's partly the call I started to invest in, partly just to chat, and, you know, there's all sorts of, like, this is a very small world, and everyone chats with each other all the time, and you're sort of, you know, there's nothing, you know, the exception of a few blogs, like Fred's or something, there's very little of this world is written, this stuff that goes on in this world is written down. Mm-hmm. And so you need to sort of talk to people all the time if you want to stay up to date hmm. with what's happening. So you actually learn a lot more about what's going on. Yeah, less than it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> isn't like, that? like what deals are like I you know I know all the deals happening in New York right now and like what stage they're in, what the valuations are, and it's important to me because um, because uh, you know I have my own investments and I want to like by knowing all the benchmarks and like what else is going on, you can kind of help your own investments. Think strategically, and you know, mm. here's what companies at your stage or what valuations and terms they're seeing, etc. You know, like and this all the stuff you can only learn through the chatter, kind of. You know, there's no one's publishing this. Even Fred is incredibly open about everything, but he is published. Does he ever publish valuations or mm. you know, or like all the stuff that people that, that really kind of really juicy stuff? No, he doesn't. Yeah. He can't. You know, it's like mm. so this stuff together kind of here is a great fun. So Silicon Valley is quite a bit in front of New York in terms of just sure. the community and what's going on. What do you think needs to happen out here to in New York to catch up or or to be stronger? I mean, New York is the it's it's kind of like for me it's almost like the headquarter of capitalism in the world. I mean, this is this is it. This yeah. is ground zero, but it's really not in the tech space. No, I think so I think um, the first thing that had to happen did happen, which is the financial bubble collapsed. Um, because what, what that was was a giant stock of talent on the East Coast. You, you know, like, I would go speak five years ago to a top computer science student at MIT, let's say, and try to recruit them. And they would just be like, I, I, you know, I would be insane to go work at a startup when I can go, I mean, I would literally have situations where you'd offer a guy, you know, whatever, $80,000 a year, and they get an offer for $500,000 a year from mm-hmm. a hedge fund. I mean, like, 
in that kind of environment. I mean, like, it's, it's, that doesn't really leave them with any choice. It, it doesn't. They, but, you know, their parents are like, even if they want to, their parents are like, what are you fucking crazy? You know, it's like, <laughs> like, yeah. like, it just doesn't, right? So, like, <laughs> this is the environment. And, and that, and that, what that leads to is like, in the same way in, in the Silicon Valley, everyone's like, sort of like into getting equity and all the other things. Here, they're all talking about their hedge fund bonus and all this. And, and so it just led to this, this environment where the only people we could really recruit were kind of eccentrics who, who just didn't care about the money, right? Right. <laughs> something like this. Um, they may be some of the best people too. They, uh, they are some great people. It's really you know. But I think what I think so. It may and by the way, the pendulum may spin, is probably going to swing back too far the other way, which is all these like ex bankers are going to have these startups, and that's probably a bad thing. But I think the, the good thing is there are really look, there's, you know the East Coast still is dominant in terms of like let's say you know great universities as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's often the source of lots and lots of startup talent. Um, and, you know, I think when it gets to the point where it's not, you know, like Facebook started at Harvard and moved west, and it, for the last 10 years it's been perceived that you're crazy if you don't move west. Right. I think, you know, to the, to the extent that we can kind of build enough of a ecosystem here, including this kind of stuff I'm trying to do with the fund and Fred's doing and Betaworks is doing and, you know, a lot of great startups are doing, you know, we have like Foursquare everyone's talking about and a bunch of other things going on and, you know, I think if we sort of have enough critical mass, it'll start to be that the next Mark Zuckerberg doesn't feel like he has to move to California and I think that's, you know, kind of how we start to see, you know, I think the other thing they're going for us is that New York, besides being the center of capitalism, the center of media and advertising, right. which, you know, more and more technology and media and advertising are converging, right, in the 90s, the internet was a lot about sort of optical switching and infrastructure and all this other kind of stuff. That stuff's kind of built mm. and working, and now it's much more about the sort of higher up layer of right. media advertising. And you'd think naturally it would be played in New York strengths, you know. And you know, I think New York is like Silicon Valley in that it's very sort of immigrant friendly. It's very diverse. It's very you know, people like to move here and start things. You know, I, I bet you that if there's some really big startups here. Um, you know, some of them will be from people who just moved here, right? They won't be people who grew up in Manhattan, right? I mean, like, this is generally the case with New York, right? Like, um, like here. Yeah, I mean, most people, I, I think there's like, there's sort of the people that grew up in Manhattan, there's the commuters, and there's the people that kind of come here because they live off the energy of it, and they love it, and they, you know, and they want to sort of make their mark here or something. And, I, you know, I, I don't see why. I think if, if those people now shift away from finance and, Shift away from that kind of traditional media and advertising world and think about this new one and that inevitably involves technology. Like I think you probably will see the types of companies you'll see here will probably be different than about, right? They'll be they'll be sort of more Huffington Post than Twitter or something, right? They'll mm-hmm. be sort of have more of a media component. Um, but uh, but I, I think that I think that all the pieces are in place for kind of a, a real boom here. I would think, but hmm. but you know I, that's the sense I have and the sense. You know, I think other people have, um, but you never know. I don't know. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know anything. It just, it just doesn't. It seems to me it should be a lot stronger, but maybe that's. So what you're saying is maybe that's going to happen. I, yeah, I think some of the, I don't know. That's where I'm betting. That's what I mean, I'm putting my money there. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it's game. Yeah. So you know. Um, so what's next from you? I mean, you're going to do hunch. The, yeah, the I mean, I'd love to do hunch, and you know, I mean, hopefully, we'll, I'd like to build a successful company. But we'll see. You know, so. Um, that's so yeah I know I mean I'm sort of very happy doing this and investing inside and um, you know I like just I just think it's um, I really like the people I work with and the sort of lifestyle working at startups and um, just want to continue doing that hmm. anything we haven't talked about which you'd like to talk about 
Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, unless you have anything else, man. I've asked all I can think of. Thanks. Okay. Great. No, thank you.